0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 5 this morning, where we left off last week. Proverbs chapter 5. We spent uh, about the whole hour last week looking at prostitutes. And uh, we'll do some more of that today. Uh, We didn't quite get through the uh, vocabulary. It says in verse 3, The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. And this is who we are warned about. This is who the young man is warned about by his parents. And uh, this is what we're studying. In fact, it's a major feature of this chapter, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9. Uh, It it forms a dominant theme in the uh, parental wisdom portion of, of Proverbs. So let's open with a word of prayer. Ask the Father to bless our study and return back to this aspect of truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have this morning once again to assemble together. This is a grace-freedom, Father, and we may not always have it, but on this day we still have the blessing to assemble together and to teach the truth of your word. And I thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. Set aside distractions, open the eyes of our understanding, and humble us to receive the word implanted. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 5 contains the second of five discourses on fornication in the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. This is the second of five. And so uh hope you're not bored with it because we're going to come to another one and then another one and then another one. Several of them here in this, five of them in this portion of Proverbs. The first one was back in chapter 2 and it was pretty short. Chapter 2 contains the first such admonishment. This is some point A in the outline. Chapter 2 contained the first such admonishment in verses uh, 16 through 19. Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 19. I think I even made that clickable. I did. To deliver you from the strange woman. All right? That's not just the bizarre female. Okay, it's a, it's a technical term. The technical term for the strange woman. From the adulteress, in parallel there equivalent expression to the strange woman from the adulteress who flatters with her words that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God for her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead none who go to her return again you say well I'm different I'm the exception Uh," no you're not no you're not no you're not no you're not none who go to her return again nor do they reach the paths of life now, so that was the first of the admonishments, and it's pretty direct. It says everything that needs to be said, right? So why does he say it again and again and again and again? Five discourses in the wisdom portion of Proverbs. Additional discourses are featured in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 9. And we listed those for you in subpoint B. Additional discourses are featured in the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. In Proverbs 6, it's verses 24 through 35. All right, that's a fairly lengthy section as well, not uh, the 22 verses we have here, but still it's a fairly long section. In chapter 7, it's verses 5 through 27, All right, so 23 verses there. And in chapter 9, it's uh, verses 13 through 18. The final one is another short one again, almost comparable to the first one in uh, in chapter 2 verses 16 through 19. So it starts with a fairly short one, it ends with a fairly short one, and then the much longer ones are, uh, are in the middle there in chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, also beyond the Bible itself, the Jewish people were uh, impacted by the concepts and they replicated the concepts in their own non-biblical writings. Uh, there is extra-biblical wisdom literature that was uh, prevalent in, uh, in uh, the intertestamental period certainly between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, I gave you one example in Sirach chapter 9. Uh, this is not Bible of course. An extra-biblical discourse similar to Proverbs is featured in the wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirach. And some of you thought that was kind of amusing last week. You never heard of Jesus, the son of Sirach, or his wisdom. But that's what this, that's what this book is about. Sometimes it just shortened to Sirach, uh, chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. And we read through that last week. I won't Read it again, but I found it interesting because it again it expresses the fact that wisdom literature, yes, it comes from the scripture, but you know it just makes a whole lot of sense, <laughs> and an unbeliever can can glean from it. Uh, you know, someone can look at that and say, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to have a happier marriage if I don't commit adultery, and and the laws of divine establishment for marriage, for families, for nations, uh, God handed them down for the orderly blessings of the human race, and even the unbeliever, if they follow that pattern will be blessed. And of course, if they defy God's design for marriage with some kind of a <clears throat> thing, then they are lining themselves up for discipline. Alright? Additional discipline beyond anything else. And there we are. All right. Point two then Proverbs warns repeatedly against the seductress, against the seductress. And feel free to turn this around when you're teaching your daughters to make it gender appropriate. All right, The fact that it is uh, addressing the the strange woman is because uh, Bathsheba and and Solomon, or Bathsheba and David, are warning Solomon about the snares. And so they're warning their son about the strange woman. If, If they had a daughter, they would be warning her about the strange man, about the foreign man, about the Uh, the the seducer okay the the don juan or the the uh, casanova or whatever the the uh, the metaphor might be all right and this is what we have here in these warnings and all the variety of terms okay and uh, why is that why do we have so many idioms and expressions even in modern english we have idioms and expressions for um you know immoral women. And, and some of them are kind of crude and, and none of them are flattering. And, and, and if you think about it, why are there so many? Uh, on both a professional and amateur basis, okay? And, we, and remember, and I said it last week, I'm going to say it again, I'm going to say it again. Harlotry has nothing to do with whether you're getting paid, all right? And uh, if, if in fact you're not getting paid to have sex, you're still a harlot, you're just a cheap harlot because you didn't take money for it, all right? But the scripture calls you a harlot for sex outside of marriage, and we're going to talk about that. So, uh, but variety of expressions there. Think about, and we're not going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can take a show of hands and say, to, you know, what's your favorite term for a woman of the evening? Okay, but you know, there there are many of them, and that is biblical. All right. So we talked about the. Zara. Z A R A H. Zara. Sometimes you have Isha in front of Zara, just to really make it clear, but it's not absolutely necessary to have an Isha in front of Zara. Isha, of course, is the word for woman. You have Ish and Isha, but um, Zara doesn't need the Isha in front of it because Zara already has the feminine singular ending on the end of it. It's already the A ah makes the Zur a Zara, and tells you that it's a strange woman all right uh, but there are other things like strange fire and there are other things that can be strange and in context uh, if you're not careful uh, then there are actual Zorah uses that don't refer to a strange woman because it's modifying another feminine noun so in any event from Proverbs 2:16, which we looked at a moment ago twice in this chapter uh, verse 3 where uh, she's paralleled or where she's not paralleled it's the adulteress the adulteress in, in Proverbs five three is the zarah. All right, the lips of a zarah drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Same chapter down to verse twenty. Okay, I'm not going to reread all of these because we had uh, we had uh, spent most of our time last week looking at these. Uh, verse twenty: Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with a zarah and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? And that's our next term. Okay, the Nakria. Under sub-point B, we give you the vocabulary for Nakria. Sub-point B, N-A-K-R-I-Y-Y-A-H. You've got the double Yod, the double y. N-A-K-R-I-Y-Y-A-H. Nakria. And this has reference to the the, the foreign aspect of this woman, all right? And uh, she's not only strange, she's foreign, okay? And you can understand that, that they somewhat overlap, and the, the, the concepts are, are identical. If they're not from here, then, uh, then you know, there's going to be some things that we are going to find to be strange, okay? Just like there's going to be some things about us that they are going to find to be strange, because they're not from here, and they're getting used to what it's like around here, kind of a thing, okay? That's why we're having so much fun with my new daughter-in-law in that respect, and she's going to have her first fireworks, 4th uh, of July weekend coming up, as, uh, an American, all right, technically, she's not an American yet, but she's here, and we're happy for that. Um, anyway, so there's the terms, and you might expect there's a lot of overlap proverbs two sixteen, same uh, verse that has the zarah, has the Nakria. Uh likewise proverbs five twenty all right, same verse that has the zarah. Uh, don't be exhilarated with the zarah uh, and it's the Nakriah, uh, that has the bosom in, uh, in that verse. Embrace the bosom of a nakriah. Also chapter 6 and verse 24, chapter 7 and verse 5, these are all the the common verses that we're going to be seeing repeatedly in uh, the Proverbs series. Even beyond the pastoral, uh, the, the parental wisdom section into chapter 23 and chapter 27 of Proverbs, uh, the Nakriya will make an appearance on those two places. 23, 27 and 27, 13. And then uh, other passages of scripture you're probably already familiar with, including Genesis 31, when the two sisters there, the daughters of Laban, say our father is treating us like uh, a harlot. He's treating us like foreign women, and uh, the way that he's wasting the, the uh, dowry that Jake, Jacob was providing for the two of them. Ruth 2.10, another use of it there. 1 Kings 11, uh, Solomon's heart was led astray by many nakriah, foreign women. And that was what he was warned about, about the polygamy problems and about multiplying wives when you're a king and how they will lead your heart astray. And then seven times in Ezra 10. It was a big problem when they came back from the uh, Babylonian captivity. They came back to the land. The problem was they had married all these nakriyah or nakriyoth, plural of Nakriyah. All right, third term is azonah. And this is probably the most common of all the terms, uh, because as a either as a noun or an adjective or a participle, um, zona uh, comes from the primary verb that means to fornicate, and so zona. All right, zona is probably the most common term as uh, as we reach it. Uh, Genesis thirty-four. Okay, this is where uh, Dinah was treated like a zonah, and her brothers took offense to the way that, that And you'll note, was she treated like a zonah? Was he treated? Was she treated like a like a harlot? Um, they, the brothers thought so, uh, but it was just simply uh, Shechem thought she was beautiful and, and took her to bed, right? And then, uh, but the brothers said uh, he's treating her like a harlot. Okay, and went and murdered the whole town. Uh, Genesis 38:15. There was uh, um, Judah's daughter-in-law, right, Tamar, and she was dressed up like a zonah, okay? Well, how does a zonah dress up? Well, you know, they know, we know, everybody knows, okay, until your culture is so degraded that all the women are dressing like a zonah, and then you can't tell the difference, right? And that's probably pretty accurate, uh, Leviticus chapter 21. Let's pick up our study there. I know most of these we've already read, but let's remind ourselves if you were here and if you weren't here, it's good to hear it a second time. Leviticus 21, because when Scripture spells it out as blunt as it does, we better pay attention. All right, Leviticus 21. verse 7 and verse 14 notice regulation concerning priests that's the pericope heading there um talking about the fact that there are there's there's special expectations for the priesthood because of their duties in the temple in the tabernacle that that there are th- Circumstances of life that they cannot defile themselves for. They have to stay ritually clean in order to operate in the ritual expectations of their priesthood. And so, uh, as far as not bearing a dead body, uh, no one shall defile himself for a dead person among his people except for his relatives who are nearest to him. There are exceptions. This is for a, a, a priest um, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Also his virgin sister, who is near to him, uh, because she has no husband, or had no husband for her, he may defile himself. But notice, if she's not a virgin, if she's married or whatever, uh, then when she dies, somebody else has to bury her. The priest won't be able to do it. He shall not defile himself as a relative by marriage among his people, and so profane himself. And uh, other things about baldness and beards and things that related to the pagan priesthoods of the nations around them now um also notice and it's a little bit different for the high priest the high priest can't even do that in verse 10 the priest who is the highest among his brothers um he cannot even um, not even for an immediate family member not even a father or mother all right Now, notice verse 7. Back up a bit to the regular priest here. They shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry. Right? Now notice, profaned by harlotry. This is an ongoing context, an ongoing ramification, an ongoing event. We talk about present circumstances. We talk about um, ongoing circumstances. Okay, like when we're talking about the the present character traits of the overseer and the deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It doesn't say, have you ever been drunk even one time before in your life, way back in your irresponsible youth. Okay, it's not what it says. Are you a drunkard now? Are you addicted to much wine now? Okay, and likewise, all the other things in 1 Timothy 3 are present, adjectival, present character traits in the here and now. Alright? This passage is a little bit different. Alright? This doesn't say... uh, Notice, it's, Are they defiled? Defiled by harlotry. They shall not take a woman who is now presently profaned by her past. Her act of harlotry in the past. Alright? This isn't the thing. If, if, If a girl is no longer a virgin, then that means in the past she defiled herself. And she now in the present is no longer a virgin. All right? From that moment on, she is not a virgin. The next day, the next day, the next day. For the rest of her life, she is not a virgin. There is an ongoing, lifelong consequence. So, not only this, profaned by harlotry. Nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. So there's two things, the harlot and the divorcee. Okay? And understand in this context what they're talking about. They're talking about the profaning that she has done by the immorality, by the zonah, the zonah activity. Zonah is the verb. All right. Uh, Very explicit when you get down to verse 13. He shall take A wife in her virginity, a widow, or a divorced woman, or one who is profaned by harlotry, these he may not take. So, those are the definitions, all right? Those are the biblical definitions for unmarried non-virgins. And those are the only three options for unmarried non-virgins, all right? And by the way, there's going to be some additional definitions or additional... um, applications of this when um if if a, a man believes that he had contracted for a virgin bride and then on the wedding night he finds she's not a virgin and he files a charge against her for fraud in uh, in her not being a virgin okay and if it's true that she was not a virgin that that passage says that she has played the harlot in Israel and it was a serious matter okay so we have the, the definitions here. Obviously, the widow it's not her fault; she's a widow. Uh, she did everything right. she uh, you know, was married, and, and now she's a widow, OK? It's not saying that, that, uh, that there's anything wrong with being a widow. It, and likewise, a divorced woman. we understand if she's divorced, that means she had a husband. That means she's not a virgin now. All right. But then that third category. And it's the only th- other option besides being widowed and being divorced for an unmarried non-virgin. And that, well, she played the harlot. These he may not take, but rather he is to marry a virgin of his own people so that he will not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Okay. Now also understand, of course, that this is only limited to the priesthood, the high priest especially, it's not uh, limited to the population at large. Has no application for the population at large. So, you know, some you know Jewish schmuck from the tribe of Zebulun or whatever, okay? Um, he he can marry a harlot. He can marry a divorced woman. He can marry a a, a widow. Um, he's not banned from marrying a uh, a divorced woman, okay? And that that hurts a lot of people in their theology who say, oh no no no, if you're divorced, you can never ever ever be remarried. Well, other than the high priest, uh, it's not wrong to marry a divorced woman. All right. So that's Leviticus, chapter 21, verses 7 and 14. We have Rahab, the most famous zonah in the Bible, in uh, Joshua 2, 1 and Joshua 6, verses 17, 22 and 25. Um, not the former harlot, but the practicing harlot in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. Judges 11:1. Jephthah's mother was a harlot. And uh, yet the Lord used him to deliver Israel um, and that. Uh, Judges 16:1, uh, Samson saw a harlot, First uh, Kings 3:16. You recall two Zonah or two Zonoth, two harlots brought the baby to, to Solomon and said, "This is my baby, this is my baby." And Solomon had it, of course, uh, to uh, choose between those two Zonoth. Uh, Proverbs, our passage now, Proverbs 6.26. Let me get back to do we look at these? We did. We did. Proverbs 6.26, 7.10, and 2327. They're all Zona applications, and some of those they're parallel with the strange woman and the foreign woman. Jeremiah 3:3, 3, 3, treating someone like a harlot. That was in a prophetic rebuke in uh, Jeremiah 3. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, don't let a, a young person read that until they have the facts of life already explained to them, because it's pretty explicit there what Samaria and Jerusalem were guilty of, and uh, and and how they uh, played the harlot in defiance against Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. Okay? And you say, well, what's wrong with, uh, we did not read those last week, let me look at those. Ezekiel 16. All right. Verse 30, 31, 35, 41. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God, while you do all these things, the actions of a bold-faced Zona, the actions of a bold-faced harlot. And the real issue, of course, is not just the, the, the stuff they do when they're naked. It's the condition of their heart. They wouldn't be doing that stuff if their heart was intimate with Jesus Christ, if they were shaped by the word of God, if they were conducting themselves in a walk that was pleasing to, uh, to God. But it's the heart issue. And because of the condition the heart's in, there's the activity and what they're doing. All right, And it says, uh, When you built your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high place in every square in disdaining money, you were not like a harlot instead yeah they were just giving it away and uh you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband men give gifts to all harlots but you give your gifts to all your lovers you got to turn around backwards you're paying them this is how distorted you are you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. And thus you are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do because you give money and no money is given to you. Thus you are different. Therefore, a oh harlot hear the word of the Lord. And what we understand beyond, of course, the physical activity, what we want to understand is how Scripture uses harlotry to reflect uh, the spiritual adultery in, in your idolatry against God himself and what the spiritual applications are in addition to the physical applications of fornication all right um also ezekiel 23 has this and then 22 times in hosea you might expect hosea was commanded to marry azona gomer uh, uh the only girl's name in the bible that starts with a g is gomer and um well there you go okay some people uh, get around that by giving their daughters a feminized form of Gabriel. You end up with a Gabrielle kind of a thing because there's no good G girl names in the in the Bible. And people avoid using Gomer for some reason in naming their daughters. All right. Point D. I double-checked this. I thought we had a problem last week. Ish. Um, this is another term. Uh, again, the vocabulary itself does not necessarily demand uh, harlotry or adultery or fornication in any sense. Esheth is just a uh, woman, woman of ish, woman of a man. And so this would be an, an ishah that belongs to an ish. And if this ishah belongs to an ish and you're not the ish, then that's not your ishah, right? Uh, she is somebody else's woman. And so often is the case in, in Leviticus in the in the law, uh, it talks about uncovering somebody else's nakedness. All right, that's not your nakedness. Don't uncover it. That that's sets your father's nakedness. That's your uncle's nakedness. That's that's your son's nakedness or whatever else in the in the incestual prohibitions of, of uh, those passages, okay? Nakedness belongs to somebody and if it, if it's not if you're not married then that nakedness does not belong to you. And so Asheth ish is a man's wife, and it's an idiom uh, that's used to apply to an adulteress, and it's used that way in Genesis 20 and verse seven, when Abimelech didn't know any better, and uh, Abraham had lied about his wife. All right, Leviticus 20 in verse 10, numbers five, twelve. and uh, I think in numbers five, is that the one I'm thinking of? Oh, I've been in Numbers so many times in the last couple of weeks, it's, it makes my head spin. Numbers 5, yeah, this is where there's a spirit of jealousy and he thinks that maybe his wife has not been faithful. Um, okay, well, that's not what I was thinking of. Yeah, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, if any man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to him and a man has intercourse with her and is hidden from the eyes of her husband... And it's undetected. Anyway, there is a a spirit of jealousy comes over him. And there's a procedure that the priesthood is instructed to, to apply there. All right, Leviticus 20. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's a great verse because this is a verse that has several of these idioms. It has another man's wife. It has a friend's wife. That's a different term. And then it has the technical term for adulterer and the feminine adulteress. So you've got the masculine gender and the feminine gender there. Both the adulterer and the adulteress were to be put to death. That's why in John chapter 8, when they drag that woman to Jesus and throw her at his feet and say, look, we caught her in the act. I want to say, well, where's the, you caught her in the act. What about the man? Didn't you catch him in the act too? Why aren't you dragging him here? Okay. It only dragged her out in that story that probably was not original to the Gospel of John. All right, But uh, the adulterer and the adulteress both were to be put to death. Cuts down on the number of divorces, by the way. You know, all the high rate of divorce we have today with adultery and all these other cheating stuff going on. Well, if, uh, if the adulterer is put to death then uh, that removes the necessity for divorce. You now have a widow who's free to remarry. And then uh, Proverbs 6.26, we've seen now several times, on the account of a harlot, a zona, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and a uh, an adulteress, another man's wife, hunts for the precious life. What is she really looking for when she's fooling around. What are they looking for? Souls. All right. So there's an idiomatic use. We also have the neighbor's wife or the friend's wife. The asheth rite, the asheth rite. This is the one from the 10 commandments. Okay? Because you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet the asheth rite. Asheth rite. Rake is kind of a fun word. It's a word for shepherd, it's a word for friend. Okay. Did you know that? Your shepherd is your friend? That's your rake. The Asheth rake. Right. It's also a neighbor, if you happen to be friends with your neighbor, I guess. All right. Exodus 20 and verse 17. Leviticus 20 and verse 10. We were just looking at that. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 21. That's the Deuteronomy equivalent of Exodus chapter 20. The restatement of Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-four. I don't think we've seen that one yet. Deuteronomy 22, and verse 24. Yep. Um, there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her. Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death, the girl, because she did not cry out in the city. she had It's not a rape because she didn't cry for help. Had she cried out, of course, then it is a rape, and then uh, the rapist is put to death, but not the girl. All right? So this is not a rape case. This is consensual. And uh, she did not cry out. And uh, the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, his esheth rape. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. All right. By the way, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but glance with me up to verse 20. Okay? Up to verse 20. And this is what I was talking about. That uh, they get married and on the wedding night he says, you know what? She wasn't a virgin. And uh, it goes to trial. It goes to trial. And um, I guess the whole context of this starts in verse 13. He charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her. Okay? It is a matter of public record. Deuteronomy 22, verses 13 and 14. A man takes a wife, goes into her, and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin it's a matter of public record on the wedding night or the, the morning the next morning and the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate now this blows our minds as 21st century american christians okay this this, this is just stuff we're not comfortable talking about it's not you don't speak of these things this is public record this is in the city gates because when The girl's parents and the bride and the man's parents, it's the parents that contracted this wedding. And the fees were exchanged. The dowry and the bride price, these were exchanged. We now have families and clans and possibly tribes that are now linked together. And if they were linked together under fraudulent circumstances, that's a problem. Okay? The girl's expected to be a virgin. Not, she's not being contracted out as a lesser wife, as a concubine, as, as anything of that sort. Okay, that would be a different contract. Now, the girl's father now presents the evidence, and it's before the elders, and, and uh, the, the shame, he has charged her with shameful deeds. Well, not anymore. Now we celebrate perversity. <laughs> now there's no shame anymore. Now it's normal. Okay, it used to be Shameful. But here's the evidence. And so the elders of the city shall take the man and chastise him. Oh, he has to pay a fine now. He pays a fine for besmirching her character. This is when society had a role in defending the honor of the, the girls, the, the maidens within, uh, within uh, culture. So they fine him a hundred shekels of silver. That's a steep fine. And give it to the girl's father, because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel. And she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. So that the additional penalty that he's now locked into this, which he should be anyway under marriage, but this is the nature of Mosaic law. All right. But if this charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, okay, And this is what, I mean, this this goes right to the story of Mary and Joseph, right? Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. He's got legal options open to him, and he's going to put her away until Gabriel shows up and says, no, no, relax. It's not what you think, okay? If it's true, they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death. You see why premarital sex is, is serious? Because notice... She committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. She was under her father's spiritual leadership and she engaged in harlotry outside of marriage. It's called harlotry. All right. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. And it it is an act of purging. The, The the, uh, it's not a hate crime. It's, it's a love application. It preserves the nation any more than if you chop off a limb because of gangrene, you're preserving the remainder of the body from the gangrene. What we're going to find is this activity defiles the land. And so there it is. All right. Likewise in Proverbs chapter six, it's verse 29. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. His asheth rape. That's not your wife, that's your neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. There are consequences. Subpoint point F. Oh that came up backwards, okay. The actual technical term for an adulteress is the no feth. No ofeth. No offeth. N-O apostrophe, close your throat. A p h E T H. No of. It's a it's a feminine singular from the verb na which you see on the next point. Showed up early. That's alright. No, offeth. This is the technical term for an adulteress, okay? Everything else we saw was idiomatic. Everything else we saw uh, expressed any kind of fornicator, all right? Uh, But this now specifically adds the component of adultery to the fornication. That's what we're going to talk about, is that you end up actually with double charges. If in fact... Because fornication is the general term, but if in fact you are also breaking a marriage covenant, then now you are adding the additional charge of adultery, all right? Not all fornication is adultery, but all adultery is fornication, okay? It's a subset, if you will. It's an additional charge on top of the fornication is the marriage violation that is taking place. And so the noopheth, the adulteress, we've already seen Leviticus 20 in verse 10. We've already seen the uh, metaphors as they were used in Ezekiel chapter 30. I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 32 and 38. Likewise Ezekiel 23:45. Of course Gomer is the character there who is the adulteress in Hosea 3, 1. Okay, she was a zonah before he married her. And then after he married her, she stayed a zonah, and she, by virtue of that, became a noapheth. She became an adulteress. All right, she became an adulteress. Yes, that's a tough character, that's a tough career path. When when your wife is engaged in that, um, as Hosea had to submit to, in the will of God to portray the the, the heartache that Yahweh himself um, experienced by Israel's harlotry, okay? And then, uh, I mean, can you imagine? That's Hosea 3, 1. And then we have not seen yet Proverbs 30, Proverbs 30 and verse 20. There are uh, three things, verses 18 and 19 are interesting, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand, and this is the formula we've talked about before with X and X plus one, sometimes it's six and seven, sometimes it's three and four, okay? Um, the way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid, okay? Okay? There you go. Yeah, who understands that? <laughs> okay. And remember in the X and X plus one formula, it's always that plus one that is the centerpiece of the point being made. That is that is the pinnacle of, of what's being uh less a crescendo what's being led up to. Then verse 20. This is the way of a no offeth. Uh, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. All right, and there's the thing. When shame is no longer shame, when Things that used to be considered sinful and wrong, eh, we celebrate it now. We're okay. We're in good shape. Or we try to find, uh, you know, excuses for what we're doing. Or we try to find other ways around a condemnation. I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. All right. Anyway, different applications there. That verse, by the way, addresses the Bill Clinton defense, okay? <laughs> Saying, well, it wasn't really sex. Wait a minute, okay? You can't claim innocence just because of how you did what you did. All right. The main verbs are zana and na'af. The main verbs are zana and na'af, okay? And the verb zana is the verb that means to fornicate. Zana is the verb that means to fornicate. I, I like, I said this last week, I like the word fornication. All right? I misspoke last week when I said I like fornication. I like the word fornication. Somebody's going to clip that little quote from the MP3 file and I'll be on the record. But no, I love the verb fornication. I love the verb fornicate and the noun fornication, uh, you know, fornicator. To me, it communicates the verb zana. It communicates the Greek verb "pornuo." It communicates the biblical standard for marital relations. Okay, it is not an equivalent for sex. It's not an equivalent for uh, intercourse. It specifically references activity outside of marriage right? And it's a term, it's like like, uh, Jew and Gentile, right? Gentile is an umbrella term that just means anything that's not a Jew, right? Okay? I love that. The Bible just spells it out and keeps it simple. Fornicate is like Gentile. It's anything that's not marital. Anything that's not marital. So that includes so-called premarital, which is not premarital at all. It's unmarital. Okay. Um, if you haven't gotten married yet, then you're not married, and you might not ever get married—not to that person. Okay. Premarital, extramarital—I mean, all these stupid terms. Um, homosexual. Okay, all these terms. Fornicate is a is a nice umbrella term like Gentile that just encompasses everything, everything except the one thing that God designed. Okay. So that's zanah in the uh, Hebrew. Number 2181 is the strongest concordance number. The verb naaf, number 5003, 5003, that's the verb for commit adultery. To commit adultery. Now, how do you commit adultery? You zanah. Okay. You commit adultery the same way that you fornicate. But the, the point is, is that the term is an additional term beyond the fact that you're fornicating. You are doing so with a married person or you are doing so as a married person with somebody other than your spouse. Either way, it is an additional charge on top of the fornication charge. Okay? What it means is you are now under double compound discipline because now you are guilty of the zana and the na'af. You are guilty of both. And you and you come to the double compound discipline on that regard. Now these verbs correspond very nicely in the Septuagint and in the New Testament with the verbs pornuo and moikuo. Pornuo, P-O-R-N-E-U-O, and number forty-two hundred three. Okay, and obviously you spot the porn in pornuo, right? And, and beyond the verb, we've got nouns, we've got adjectives, we've got all kinds of other cognate forms. There's a pornos, there's a porne, uh, there's uh, all kinds of different cognate forms. Uh, but that's the, that's the primary verb that, that sits underneath all of that. Okay? pornographo is the portrayal of fornication. Okay? graphê for a writing or a drawing or a portrayal. And that's uh, what we're talking about. That's anything outside of marriage. And moichuo um, is a technical term for an adulterer, someone that commits adultery, M-O-I-C-H-E-U-O, number 3431 in the Strong's Concordance. And so these are the primary activities. This is what a strange woman does. This is what a foreign woman does. This is what another man's wife does. This is what all these people are doing. They are doing these verbs, And by doing these verbs, they become those nouns, okay? The only way to become a thief is to steal something. The only way to become a murderer is to murder somebody. The only way to become a harlot is to fornicate, okay? To play the harlot, to fornicate. The only way to be a homosexual, you were not born that way, okay? Although maybe someday someone's going to start filing lawsuits and saying, well, hey, I'm, I'm not a thief. I was born that way. I have a, that's my, that's my possessional orientation or something. <laughs> you know? I, I'm oriented to possessing things. And so I'm not a thief. I just ha- I'm not a murderer. I just have a homicidal orientation. Now You notice that, they never have murder pride parades, or or stealing pride parades, or... Anyway. So, there's our terminology, and maybe, perhaps, my favorite verse for this is Hebrews, I like Hebrews 13, Um, don't know why, it's just been stuck in my mind for a long, long time, and uh, it's easy to find, right, because Hebrews... There's a great big book in the New Testament, easy to find. And chapter 13 is the last chapter of the book. And I don't know why. For me, it's always been easy to find. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. What a verse for this week, huh? Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed, you see what it's called? (laughs) the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. There's both terms right there in the same verse, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So marriage and the marriage bed is a reason why intercourse is called the marriage bed, because that's where it belongs. Okay, back to Proverbs 5 then. We have 12 minutes remaining. Point 2. Verses 3 and 4, or point 3 rather. We take a look at verses 3 and 4. The lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. All right. So there's a difference between the immediate taste and the results, right? The aftertaste, okay? The immediate taste and the aftertaste. The uh, taste and the digestive consequences, all right. Point 3 in the hour, and the seductress's lips and palate are uh, sweet and smooth. We've got her lips and her palate. I think palate is better than speech, but um there's different ways you can understand the idiom. The Hebrew uses words for lips and tongue and mouth and palate. Um there's four different nouns that all apply to the to the same thing, right? that apply to the, the, the mouth, okay? But it's a word for mouth and a word for lips and a word for tongue and a word for um, palate, which is the top of the mouth. That's the palate, okay? Um, in any event, it's hard to read too much into it because in poetry, you're just grabbing a couple of nouns and they're, they're used in parallel. So her lips are in the verse, first phrase where they're dripping honey. And then the palate is in the second phrase when it's uh, smoother than oil. So they're sweet and smooth until they become bitter and sharp. And that's the second half of this poem. In verses four, uh, you have two, again, two uh, segments there of the Hebrew poetry. In the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That's a phrase that's loaded with significance. And then sharp as a two-edged sword. There's an expression with some significance. Is there a verse that you can think of with respect to the two-edged sword? <laughs> okay, we, we, want, we want to have the Word of God cutting us to shreds instead of this woman cutting us to shreds. All right. So her lips and palate are sweet and smooth until they become bitter and sharp. And there's a lot we could discuss with respect to this. The um, I think it's wrong or it's illegitimate to... To state that these things are not uh, attractive or, or or desirable or or pleasant, all right? Uh, it, there's no, it does not. The Bible does not dispute the sweetness of the activity. Okay, as in even when it talks about the passing pleasures of sin, that Moses did not look to the the, the passing pleasures of sin. Sin has a pleasure. It has a carnal pleasure. It has a a physical pleasure. It has an immediate pleasure. Sex feels great. We don't want to deny that. Okay? We accept that. And we want to teach our children that. And even while at the same time. Okay? Candy bars taste great, but don't eat 200 of them in an afternoon. Okay? Understand that there is a taste, but there is a place for that taste. There is a, a venue in which that appetite can be gratified without harm. And that's the point that we're making here. Okay, So there can be an immediate gratification in the sweet lips and the smooth palate. But then there's the effects. What does it produce? What does it lead to? And the effects are never good. Ever. Ever good. Okay? Ever. (laughs) And, uh, you know, even the, um, and we talk about for the rest of your life, we talk about the long-term consequences. This is what uh, the Scripture describes. There'll be more on this. I think it gets more um, explicit in uh, chapter 7, I think. Spells it out in more of the, you know, where you groan at your uh, in your later years when you're reduced to a loaf of bread. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. All right. Uh, point four: Her feet. Her feet have only one destination. Unless, as I said in chapter 2, her feet have only one destination unless the grace of God delivers her from that path. Unless the grace of God delivers her from that path. I fully expect okay, after Salmon married Rahab that she departed from that line of work. Alright? Obviously uh, Jericho was leveled and her whorehouse was destroyed and, 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 uh, and they moved on from there anyway as they uh, moved on into the conquest and as the tribe of Judah settled down into their inheritance, Salmon and Rahab settled down for normal family life and had a baby Boaz and raised him. Um, Probably up there in Bethlehem, right? Up there and was the the land grant that was apportioned to, uh, to Solomon and so forth. So there's an example of someone that got off that path. But other than the grace of God that rescues, notice, there's only one direction. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. I'm going to expand that next week. We're going to expand the instability here of this way of life. We're going to expand the damage to a soul that's done when men and women defy the will of God. And when they're, they're looking for, for love in all the wrong places, right? And, uh, wasn't that a song? And, uh, the, the, the instability that then results. So her feet have only one destination unless the grace of God delivers her from that path. And her partners in crime go to the same place unless the grace of God delivers them from that path. And we saw that in uh, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. That's chapter 2. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 11. There's the groaning. You groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. You see what you brought on yourself? Uh, Chapter 6 and verse 32. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. It is self-destructive behavior and there's no need for it. You are bringing it upon yourself by the choices you are making. Wounds and disgrace he will find and his reproach will not be blotted out. These are the consequences. At least it used to be the consequences. Anymore, now our culture celebrates it, glorifies it. Chapter 7, verses 26 and 27 Many are the victims she has cast down. Numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. That doesn't sound any fun. And then 9.18. He does not know. This is where she's tempting him. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. Come to me, you idiots. All right, to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet. Oh, come on, it'll be fun. Have a little excitement. Live a little... And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Her feet have only one destination unless the grace of God delivers her from that path. All right, we'll come back next week and begin with a point five. The harlot has no perspective for her life purpose and she remains oblivious to her own instability. The, th- the big thing is is she is totally miserable but she thinks she's having fun. Totally ignorant of the realities. Totally ignorant of the realities. Well, we'll teach it next week, but I think we see it every day. We see it in our culture every single day. Slaves to their bellies. They think they're having fun. And they're killing themselves. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen.